Hey guys, Angie here. I just wanted to start this episode off with some words from a friend of mine. She sent these to me while I was waiting in the waiting room to get inseminated, and they really inspired me and spoke to my heart. So I hope they can do the same for you. Enjoy. Put that semen up in her cooch, squeeze it up tight and give it a smooch. Take a deep breath and don't be nervous. You gotta relax so you get past that cervix. When you got it in, you put your legs in the air. Soon you'll be popping babies like you just don't care. Welcome back to the Baby Mamas. Here we are back in our favorite little library. And this is episode number 20. Holy crap. I know. It's crazy. Um, this is our podcast. We forgot to say it last time what we're about. So whoever listened. <gasps> they were probably the first so time. confused starting on episode 19, which is a weird thing to do. <laughs> anyway, this is us documenting the ins and outs of getting pregnant. As a couple of ladies, a couple of vagina havers, <laughs> a couple of ovaried up lady men. <laughs> I was trying to use gentle ladies. That's oh, what I was trying gentle to say. ladies. Ovaried up gentle ladies? Yes. Hmm. Anyway, so if you listened to the episode before this, you heard all about our monitoring sessions and it was kind of confusing. Yeah. But what we did on our last monitoring session, or after our last monitoring session, was... Inseminate! We did. So before that, early in the morning, I got a positive OPK, and they said, your egg is 20 millimeters, it's ready to go, it's fat and juicy. Yeah. And so we went back in at 12.30 and stuck it in. Put all them 11.9 million sperm. Our donor like really, really amped it up this time. We were like, yes, that's the number of sperm we want. He is shooting big ass loads. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. So that's that's the biggest amount of sperm that we've had so far. Yep. So fingers crossed it's enough to work, but we will not know until December 28th and we're sticking to our plan of not peeing on anything and just waiting for the blood test because it makes us less crazy. Yeah, it really, really does. I think we're still cautiously optimistic at this point, but it does feel, I feel a lot more sure of this try, I think, because we did all the monitoring and we're like, yeah, look at it grow, look at it grow, it's going, it's getting bigger, it's going to work, it's going to happen. We did not choose to trigger because there was no need. No, I was kind of on the fence about that afterwards. I was like, oh, maybe we should have done it because I just think my period is so long. I just am under the impression that my body does everything late. Mm-hmm. So I'm convinced that I, but if they also- say that you ovulate between 24 and 48 hours, I'm going to be closer to the 48 hour mark. So I was thinking if we did the trigger shot. You can't know that. No, I can't. Um, but I think our last doctor was very helpful in like was she helpful or was she like dismissive yes Mm. it's so hard because every doctor says things with such authority that you're like well are you right or are you right because you're saying different things and you're both saying it so confidently 
Yeah. She was like, oh, you're fine. You're fine. Look, you're ovulating. You're already doing it. You're already, yeah, already don't surging. Yeah, the timing. And then she said... Oh, the timing's not that important. The sperm will live in you for three to five days. I was like, what? I know. I was like, that's not... That's like count- contrary to everything we've read about washed donor sperm with IUI. So I don't... Yeah, I've never ugh. heard three to five days. That's crazy to me. And it also seems crazy to me that every single... All five of the doctors we had basically had different advice for us. Yeah, it was weird. Well, because having... Having the, like, one of the first doctors we had being like, why are you bothering with the monitoring if you're not going to trigger? Triggers, like, you should do a trigger. And then every other doctor being like, oh, we don't always trigger when we monitor. It's just, you know, if you need it. If you haven't monitored by the time your egg's ready. I mean, if you haven't surged by the time your egg is ready and your egg's ready and you're surging, so there's no need to do it. So I think really... And then the last doctor being like, everything's fine. Everything's perfect. You don't need to do anything. Just inseminate. I think maybe it's also their perspective, right? Because the majority of the people they're seeing have fertility issues. So when they look at, at you and they're like, you're, you're surging, you're ovulating, the egg's getting better, you've got a dominant follicle, what's, just do it, like whatever. Yeah, you don't need us. Go yeah. away. There's and then it's like, but we do need you because we don't have a penis and because... We've already done this three times and we don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, so make it happen. Make it work. Which I actually said to the sperm... When I was undressing, I went over to the little vial and I was like, listen, I don't want to have to do this again. So you find that egg and you make me pregnant. Okay. It was a little Tim Gunn moment. (laughs) Make it work. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I'm trying not to symptom spot. No, you don't want to cross cervix. That's bad. (laughs) I'm trying not to symptom spot. There's nothing really to spot though. I haven't really been feeling anything. That's where we are in the fertility process. And we're waiting. We're in the two-week wait, which is so fun. One of our listeners um, posted on our Facebook page this really interesting article about a baby fever. Well, the article is basically saying that, like, it's a real thing. A baby fever, every, every culture has a different name for it, but baby fever is a real thing. That, like, desperation, that, like, deep-seated biological imperative to procreate is so strong in women, and men just basically don't really feel it. Yeah, one of the quotes that it's had in it that I that really resonated with me was if someone told me in five years you'll have a baby I would have been fine to wait those five years I would have been grateful to have them and in fact and would have gotten busy with some other goals the problem with infertility is that is that it's not a patient serene kind of waiting not a simple delay in your plans it happens for many us many of us in the context of consuming struggle expense and loss it's five years or eight or ten of trying and failing, which erodes any feelings of confidence or anticipation of a positive outcome. I can totally see that. Even though we're not infertile, I can totally see it just like completely wearing down your ability to be like, yay, another try. Yay, Mm -hmm. let's keep going. Yay, baby in the future. Yeah. And I think that that is so hard to just live in negativity and to live in um, disappointment. What do you think could change about the process to make that different, to make it not feel so negative, so like loss centered? More answers, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if there is a solution to that. It just feels so like I'm sure couples who are just trying the old fashioned way for like months and months and months feel the same way. Yeah, for sure. But why... Like, is it, do you think it can just be reduced to biology? Like, is that the whole reason that women feel it differently than men? Or is it because of the way we're socialized? 
or yeah like how do you tease that apart well i don't think it's necessarily even like a man versus woman thing well this study basically said i don't it could be a response issue because whoever they were asking where they were asking for this like self-report about baby crazies it was something like there was like hundreds of women that wrote in and like seven guys and two of them were bitching about women who had baby fever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they were like, basically what the men said was like pretty much insignificant in terms of like explaining this phenomenon. So it does seem very gendered. Not to say that like guys don't want to be parents, but it's different. It's not, it's not just wanting to be a parent. It's like a, it's like deeper and more like all consuming than that. And I don't, I've never heard of a man feeling that like mm-hmm. comparably, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of, like I'm gonna urge. go into a hospital and steal a baby, yeah, and not to do something like that weird commercial. sexually to it. Do you remember that commercial? That commercial where the woman is like walking through the office and she's like, "Babies everywhere!" and like shoving things <laughs> under her shirt to make her look pregnant. Like that epitomizes how you feel. You're just like, ah, like why are there kids everywhere? Why is everyone I lo- I look at have a baby or pregnant or accidentally like looked at a guy and they got pregnant or whatever? And I just want a baby so bad you know yeah i think it's the waiting the waiting is really difficult why though like it's it's part of the process right it's part of everyone has to wait to get pregnant unless well not everyone i guess there are a certain amount of people who accidentally get pregnant and they're just like yay cool awesome i never even had to think about this reasonably most people have to wait so why is it so excruciating yeah i don't know i don't know i that's what i ask myself i'm like why is it so difficult to not just chill and be like, it's going to happen eventually and just go through my life instead of it consuming everything? Mm-hmm. And I know that we are a little bit different because we've like started a podcast and our life is on hold until we get pregnant to a certain degree. But I know yeah, that other people yeah. feel that way. Even when they're not putting their lives on hold and they're not having to pay monthly. Yeah. I think it is it, like it's a biological thing. I think dudes... Do you think, think about sex all the time and then at some point women are just consumed by babies. I think culture and so- socialization definitely helps and intensifies it because, you know, everything in culture tells us all the time that that's what we're for. Women are for babies. Men are for fucking. And that's that's the divide. And I think so many things reinforce that. Like I was listening to um, Savage Love, which I talk about all the time because I love it. They were talking about sex ed some expert that Dan had on was talking about how the majority of like teenage girls who are having sex are having like painful sex because they don't even know that it's supposed to feel good for them. Like that's the kind of world we live in where women are not even given information that like, Hey, it's supposed to feel good for you too. It's not all about that guy's penis and him getting off and having that feel good. You know, like it's that culture that I think is telling women like, you're supposed to want to be pregnant. You're supposed to want babies. You're supposed to need that in your life to feel fulfilled. And not that there's anything wrong with wanting all of that, but when it's telling one one half of the population that message and the other half is not being given that message, it's kind of like a no-brainer that there's all these intense like baby crazies on women and then also a lot of men who just don't feel connected to the idea of being a parent who will maybe yeah. father a child and then have no problem just like abandoning that kid and being like, what ifs? It's not mine, it's hers, you know? Yeah. There's like a different, I think there's like a, a different social con- construct around parenting for men and for women. 
Yeah. So then you put two women together and we're both fucking crazy <laughs> <laughs> because we don't know how to deal with it because it's like uh, everything in you is like supposed to do this and you want it, but then it's hard to get and then it's just, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I wish We've I had an answer. definitely got some baby fever up in here. Oh, man. We need something to break our fever for sure. Yeah. I Alcohol doesn't do it anymore. Sad <laughs> when alcohol can't fix your problems. Yeah. <laughs> Where do we go from here? Sometimes I will look up on Twitter, uh, just like sperm donor or like hashtag sperm donor or IUI, just to see if there's any trending articles or anything, just for content for the show. And what I found and is And because that it's the only thing you ever think about? Is IUIs and sperm donors? Yeah. 24 hours a day, yes. And the Duggars. Oh, don't even bring up the Duggars. I'll talk about them for the next hour. Anyway. Anyway. So if you look up sperm donor on Twitter, the majority of... The posts that you'll see, well, what do you think they would be? Referring to fathers of people's children as sperm donors instead of parents because they're not involved. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And it's showing them in this negative light being Mm -hmm. like, my fucking baby sperm donor thinks that he's going to be able to come to her her birthday and she hasn't seen him in three years. Mm. What a dirtbag. Hashtag Mm -hmm. sperm donor. Hashtag. Yeah. So sperm donor is used as like a pejorative when I mean, it's a uh, it's hard for me because I have there are two men that I know of who are in that circumstance. You know, my nieces and nephew have shitty dads. And so we've used that term. Oh, his you know, oh, your sperm donor, like not to the kids, obviously, but about their fathers because they're not around. They haven't been for 99% of their lives. So I get that because it is, if you're if you're talking about somebody who's supposed to be a parent, it makes sense because it's like, yeah, you literally only just made that person exist by donating your sperm and now you're not a parent anymore. Yeah. But it's also giving this idea like being a sperm donor is a bad thing. Yeah, like being a sperm donor means that you're deadbeat and that you don't give a shit, which it's not necessarily. A lot of people, well, I mean, a lot of people say in their profiles, I noticed, is that they want to help. And obviously they're also getting paid, but you have to kind of Yeah, but I don't think the money is enough to to warrant the, the, the act, you know? Like it's a big commitment. Yeah. So anyway, that bothered me seeing Mm -hmm. all that on on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I was just sort of like, oh, man, that kind of gives the term of sperm donor just this shitty. Yeah, we need like a different term because I think it's a a really not entirely benevolent, but it's very giving, like generous thing to do. And and you can't. Yeah, you shouldn't be equating them with people that are like dead. Yeah, I got you pregnant. I don't give a shit about my kid. See you later, because Mm -hmm. I think that. Intention is so different. Yeah, the people that are donating their sperm recognize that the child will be well cared for, mm-hmm. or they're assuming at least that the child will be well cared mm-hmm. for, and they're willing to give up their genetics knowing that. Whereas it's much different if you have sex with someone, a child is conceived, and then mm-hmm. they're made aware of that, and then they choose to peace out. Yeah. Because their actions directly, they're not dealing with the consequences of their actions. I really hate that term, too. A child is not a consequence. No, but you know what I mean. And yeah. I'm thinking about it from their point of view. Yeah. Like from a yeah. single person's point of view who doesn't want a child. They're mm-hmm. going to see it as a consequence. Yeah. I also feel like in that sort of construct of like a guy who's sort of a deadbeat dad, there's this like different approach to parenting by a mom and a dad. Not, uh, not completely across the board, but like even 
women in those situations, you see them sacrificing so much of themselves to, to give their kids a better life. And in a lot of cases, their dads don't do that. Their dads do whatever fits with their life versus changing your life to fit your kid. Yeah. Because that's how you have to be, you know? Yeah. Um, another thing in that article that I totally related to is like spending your days thinking about like what, you know, this parenting issue and how would I deal with that? And like, mm, what's important? Like, mm, should our kids like be in play groups? And like, sh- how do we socialize? Like, I think about that crap all <laughs> the time. And I'm like, I don't even have a kid yet. And I'm already planning all all this stuff out because I just can't stop myself. Yeah. And another thing that they talked about was needing to touch baby clothes. Mm. I remember when that switched for me and I would be like, I'm just going to go look at the baby clothes like if I was in winners mm-hmm. with no one to buy it for. I would mm-hmm. just go and look and then like touch them, mm-hmm. which is so weird. I'm really going, su- like fondling onesies. <laughs> <laughs> you don't call it that. That's really. But I think it's funny because I, I'm actually surprised that you haven't been like amassing a collection of like baby wardrobe already. That's like too hopeful, you yeah. know? Yeah. I yeah. can think about baby names and I can think about like, yay, I w- I'm going to love my baby and we're going to put a crib here and think about that kind of stuff. But actually buying clothes, I think that that definitely needs to be something that I'm going to do once I've actually gotten pregnant as like mm-hmm. a celebration. Mm-hmm. Like, finally, I can do it. Finally, I get to buy these clothes that I've been fondling. Stop using those <laughs> terms. That's so inappropriate. But I you just... know who gets to buy baby clothes and cribs and stuff? <sighs> Sandra D. Sanchez and Sarah. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the fucking Duggars. That's actually exciting. <laughs> we're so excited for them because they've been doing this whole fucking annoying, horrible, awful process. Yeah, so they're pregnant. And so is Elizabeth Kaliva from Lesbian Mommies. Yeah. So we are falling behind. We're the only lesbian podcast trying to get pregnant that isn't pregnant yet. Yeah, but they've been, to be fair, they've been trying longer than we have. Sandra and Sarah, too. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, because she had to get, like, surgery. And yeah, stuff, she right? had endometriosis. Right. She had to get surgery to fix it. Anyway, anyway. congratulations, Yay! Guys. Other lesbian moms becoming moms it makes us feel left behind. We should have some Hopeful, sort of- I mean, hopeful. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine a big podcast with us and Sandra D. Sanchez and Elizabeth Kaliva all in one? That's just That would crazy. be, like, a mega That's lesbian impossible. pregnancy podcast. We're not all in the same place. Well, we can make it happen. We're all going to get rich and famous from this anyway, right? Yeah, totally. Hundreds of listeners equals millions of dollars, right? Yeah. So since we're in the two-week wait, another installment of getting to know the baby mamas in store. What do you think? I think we're super interesting. I'm sure our listeners totally agree. (laughs) It's funny because we're like, well, we've been together for almost 10 years. We should have a lot of stories. And then when we start thinking about it, we're like, God, we're boring. We actually recently found... When we were first together, we would communicate via Gchat a lot. I don't know if anybody remembers yeah, like Gmail chat. Um, and we didn't realize that they actually save all your conversations. And we were going through a bunch of them. And we were like, fuck, our conversations haven't changed. We're so boring. And I was like, I love you. What are you doing? I'm watching TV. I miss you. I miss you, too. I'm I love studying. you. I, I love you, work. too. I yeah. wish I were with you. I wish I were with you, too. Yeah. Ugh. I know. I was like, this is... Andrew's like, this is so lame. I was like, is it or is it kind of sweet that we're still as, like sweet to each other as we were nine years ago i just wanted to find one where we're like fighting with each other or something yeah there weren't there wasn't i guess we didn't fight over text or g chat how mature of us i know Uh, (laughs) only fighting in person (sighs) but yeah so today we thought we would give you a little some of the struggles we've been through aside from this one 
um, so the first real big crappy thing that we had to deal with was in 2009. You remember the year? I do. It's weird. I don't know why. I think it's because I kept having to remind your mom of the year because she'd always be like, it just happened. I'd be like, no, that was five years ago. I've been trying Um, to figure out what year that happened. 2009. Wow. You know why? I also remember that because it was your 25th birthday that year. Okay. Anyway, so in 2009, Angie's mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. At the time, she was relatively stable. She was like in an in a community, very connected with her AA, because I'm sure we've mentioned before that Angie's mom has struggled with addiction, mostly alcohol, um, for a long time, off and on for years. Um, but yeah. at th- but at that point, she had been stable for quite a while. Yeah, and she was living in Nanaimo, and she she had a lot of friends. She had a lot of things to do. She was quite healthy. Aside from being a crazy chain smoker. (laughs) Um, And then it just this that was like the start of this like massive decline for her. Yeah, she we had to move her to Vancouver so that she could get all her treatments here and have a support network of her kids. Yeah. Yeah. And and that support network was a network of one, (laughs) two, I guess. It was just the two of us. Yeah. Like always. I ended up getting laid off from my job by coincidence. Yeah. not because I wasn't doing a good job, but because the company was like downsizing. Mm-hmm. And so I just decided to take a year off so that I could concentrate on helping my mom, which I don't know if it was a good idea at the time or <laughs> not, but either way, I did that. And it actually, it had a pretty profound effect on me mm-hmm. in terms of and anxiety. I think that's yeah. when I really first started having having anxiety issues. On a more day-to-day basis? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it had a really huge impact on us because it was... It was like, ugh. it's so hard to put into words how hard it was because aside from the fact of like, oh my God, this is so shitty. My mom has cancer and now she's going through, she has to get her breast removed and she has to have chemo and all this shit. Her mom is not a very emotionally healthy person and it just ruined any ability to be stable she had and everything she needed was put onto Ange, everything, like everything yeah she wouldn't eat unless i went and made her food she wouldn't leave the house she wouldn't answer the phone and that's really where the anxiety came from because i would think she was like dead pretty much weekly it was like oh mom's probably dead she's not answering phone mom's probably dead the amount of times that i had to talk her through like and like sobbing crying being like she hasn't answered her phone in eight, eight hours which sounds crazy to to jump to that for most people but Angie's mom literally will call her like in in a day like 20 30 times so for her to not answer the phone for eight hours is really fucking weird especially at that point because she was too sick to really do anything yeah and she would she was very suicidal extremely depressed chronically suicidal chronically depressed refused to go to counseling or went to counseling a couple times through the cancer clinic and hated it and like bitched about the counselors and because they they dared to say maybe you can't rely on your daughter for every single thing in your life and that pissed her off yeah um because her outlook has kind of always been like but i'm your mother you owe it to me and it's like yeah i can help but i can't do everything for you which we still struggle with (laughs) to this day um but that was a really really rough summer and basically spent every day with her mom which is not a healthy thing for anybody but especially not for her i spent an entire weekend with Angela's mom putting together her furniture for her because Angela was recording an album that weekend I was. Yeah. Speaking of gentle ladies. Ah, there you check go. Check out Carly Thomas and the gentle ladies if you want to hear some Angie bass action. Yeah. So that was rough. That was really, uh, that was challenging. Yeah, it was. And I remember 
for some reason, my anxiety manifested. This is the closest that I think I've ever gotten to OCD. I wasn't able sometimes to drive across bridges and I would feel trapped with people, even like my closest friends, which was weird. Mm -hmm. I remember having a party. I think maybe it was my birthday party or it was something and I needed to go and sit in the bathroom and like be by myself because I was like freaked out being Mm -hmm. around people in my own apartment, Mm -hmm. my closest friends. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time I was planning on going skiing with one of my friends and I had to pull over to gas station and go into the bathroom and just sit there by myself because I felt trapped in the car with her and she's like one of my closest friends. Yeah. And I've never felt, you know, I can talk about anything and everything with her, but I was just this weird anxiety, paranoia Mm -hmm. thing. You you even had a hard time talking to me about it. Because it was so, it came on so fast and it was so... And you didn't know how to cope with it. No, not at all. Yeah. And I I would do things like... Uh, my friend asked me to come and help her like spread her dog's ashes on the beach. And I went and I drove to the beach and I couldn't get out of the car. And I just sat there mm-hmm. and I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And eventually I was like, I, I just can't do it. Like I'm not feeling well and had to drive home. Something so simple, mm-hmm. but it was like being with her one-on-one. I felt trapped and I needed to be by myself. I think so it's because weird. you were giving so much you had like nothing left for yourself. Your mom basically sucked you dry that year. That's what it was like. And well, this is a little depressing, guys. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it did. It it was a huge stressor on our relationship, but we got through it. And I think we were stronger on the other side of it. But then, of course, because it's your mom, she got over cancer and then got it again (laughs) in the exact same place. So we're like, what the fuck? Like, how does this even happen? But f- but in between that, which is interesting to me and also very annoying, you and I went to Australia. Mm-hmm. At the end, I think she had just a couple more treatments of like really low grade chemo. Mm-hmm. Not a big deal. There were like half an hour. My brother was willing to take her. Mm-hmm. She didn't have any side effects from that. Mm-hmm. And so Jackie and I were like, okay, this is a good time. We're going to go to Australia. My mom has rewritten that as I went to Australia the entire time she was getting chemo. And never helped her with anything. Yeah. Even though is, I took her to every single appointment. Yeah. I so was one of the school yeah. to take her to chemo. Yeah. It, but that's the thing with your mom. You can never expect her to remember any of the good things you've done. She just doesn't. And so the second time around with the cancer, Angie was working shift work. And it was pretty much impossible for her to take her to her appointments. Because her mom at that point couldn't really drive. Her car actually got taken away because she was driving down the street without a tire on her car. <laughs> And just like sparking, and they and the, they, the cops pulled her over and was like, "You can't drive this," and yeah. took it to a tow yard. And I went to see it, and I was like, "Mom, your car is not fixable. What the fuck did yeah. you do?" Anyway, so this time around, I was I had been working in mental health a little bit, but I was still just work. I was still working in a bar at night, and I was like, "You know what? I can just stop working in mental health. Just." be her person for all of her appointments because she couldn't remember from one day to the next what she needed to do she really wasn't very stable at that point so it became my job (laughs) and I volunteered for it (laughs) and I look back on that and I'm like why did I bother the thing is I do things for Angie's mom because it makes Angie's life easier another so kind and I really it was it's so funny looking back on it now because I really thought like I'll just I'll make her more stable I'll get her set up I'll add structure into her day I'll make sure we're on top of everything I'll try and like support her to being a healthier person and there was no point (laughs) like I got her to her appointments she got through all of her treatments 
But if you ask her today, she would never remember that I did any of that for her. She yeah. thinks I, she, she always defaults to think I'm the worst. So, yeah. It, and I got so frustrated with her. I was at the, at the end of it. I was just like, I can't do this. She's awful. She's a really difficult person. And I was like, I can't, I, I don't, I don't even want to be around her anymore. I can't take any more of this woman. She is the most draining person you will ever, ever meet in your life. Well, probably not. She manages to charm strangers. But it's the people that get closer that soon realize, yeah. oh, wait a second. Mm-hmm. This is not just a nice old Scottish lady. Yeah. This is this is something totally different. <laughs> well, she is honestly like to a T. She's, she's somebody with borderline personality disorder. And yeah. if you know anything about that, you might understand a bit of this. But it's so hard to explain. And people don't get how difficult it is. So um, now my approach to her mom is I will help very minimally because I just can't and also I was so frustrated because I was like I did so much for her and it didn't make her better it didn't make anything better she's still more of a mess now than she ever has been wait my cervix is quivering do you think that that's a sign of pregnancy (laughs) what do you mean it's how could you what do you it feels like there's like uh, (laughs) a muscle you know when your eye twitches and Mm -hmm. you're like look at my eye it's twitching Mm -hmm. that feels like it's happening in my cervix is your cervix tired I don't know maybe it's just winking (laughs) Anyway, continue, mom. Yeah, so I, I I just got fed up and I was like, I can't I can't keep putting so much energy into this person who refuses to do anything to help herself. And really, like, it didn't make an impact at no, all. it never does. Yeah, so it's like you do all this work, you do all this stuff to try and help someone be more stable, help them be more well, help them, you know, and like Angie and I have tons of experience and, and should be able to, right? But they have to be willing. And her mom is not willing. She just doesn't. I mean, she is right now. But, you know, whatever. Blink might change. It's the typical black and white thinking of a borderline personality disorder person. It's like if she accepts the help with the way that it is, in her mind, she can't have it the other way. So it's like, well, mom, you can't go to the grocery store by yourself. So you're going to have to get them delivered. Well, I don't want them to get it delivered. I want to go by myself. So I'm just going to do nothing. Yeah, and then you're like, okay, so the, and no, (laughs) not I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to be like, Angie, you have to go get me groceries every single day. Yeah. You know, so. Anyway, that's an, how did we, why did we start talking about mom? Oh, because we had a hard life together. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so we've got through that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and then by the time she actually got through the second round of cancer treatment and chemo, and there's also a couple, um, she also had heart failure from her chemo both times. Yeah. And then, and then she relapsed, started drinking again, got into a car accident because she walked into oncoming traffic, which she's still trying to recover from. So, yeah. Um, and most recently relapsed and fell and broke her ankle in her own bathroom mm-hmm. and has been in the hospital for eight weeks, just got out today. Yeah. So that's the biggest stressor in our life, really. Yeah. We've talked about it before. I think people are aware yeah, they know. but now you have some more backstory. Mm-hmm. All right. So anytime you think you have a really difficult in-law, just think of me. Pretty much always going to be worse than everyone else's. Uh, well, not always. That's true. It could be worse. It's worse. It can always be worse. That's true. It but if be. you are having a hard time, we feel your pain. Yeah. But that leads us to... Why Jackie wanted to marry me? <laughs> <laughs> when I yeah, have all I the really- shit that comes with me? <laughs> 
she the amount of times Angie's been like why do you even want to be with me look at what I bring into your life I'm like that should be proof enough that I love you because look at what I put up with just to be with you I know but it, sometimes it does make me self-conscious sometimes I'm like yeah it makes you feel guilty Jesus Christ I don't want to deal with this shit Jackie shouldn't have to deal with this shit no nope. she's still around no human should have to deal with this shit. yeah um, but it's funny because I'll always say like, okay, like today said the same thing. She was like, thanks so much for helping. Like we literally spent six hours with her mom, which is ugh, a lot. Um, and I was like, well, you just remember that when you're annoyed with me because I'm taking too long to get out the door or I make you put away your socks or whatever annoying picky thing I do. Just think about this because I know I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty great. <laughs> Seriously though, why why did you marry me? It's not like I look at it and I'm like, hmm, I love her, but look at her mom. Hmm, I could do better than that. Like I'm not marrying your mom. It feels like I did a little yeah. bit, but but you know, I keep telling myself and we keep telling each other and that she's not gonna live forever. Yeah. You I don't just pick- I find it hard to look beyond I don't know. I don't know. I guess I just don't see how my personality and what I bring to your life can override all the craziness that my mom brings in. Are you like, trying I can to talk be as, me like, out of good being looking you? as, you know, I can be the best looking person in the world. You could be. And be extremely good in bed. But I don't know if that counteracts. You know, there's more. I mean, at certain points in our life, there had definitely have been moments when I've been like, is this worth it? This is really fucking hard. But you make me so happy in so many ways that it doesn't matter. You know, like if I had a choice, of course I'd be like, okay, I'll take her, but just, can we get rid of the mom? Like, could we just like put her in a corner, like ship her to Scotland, like just put her away so I don't have to deal with it. Yeah, that'd be great. But that's not, you know, that's not how life works. Yeah. And I fell in love with you and I, I feel like everything about you sorry scratch that like 90% of the things about you work with what I want in a person and you, what is the 10% um your inability to clean the way I needed you need you to your anxiety that's and the whole population and the anxiety is like a mental illness Jackie yeah a mental illness that you refuse you f- refuse to deal with really I think because of your mom's addiction issues and the way she abuses her medications you refuse to even consider medication. I do. Daily medication I do. for your anxiety. Yeah. That's crazy. Not only just my mom, just what I've seen from working in addiction. That but addiction and mental illness are not the same meds, thing. Like, they are so addictive. And they, they lose their ability to do what you want them to do so quickly. You have to take more. You have to take more. And then the prospect of being off of them causes anxiety. It's just like it gets into this whole whirlwind of it almost creates more anxiety. What about CBT? CBT or DBT? They're both very effective. Yeah, I would do that. But it's do you have $220 an hour to spend on that? Well, obviously not right now. (laughs) I'm just saying like anytime it's come up, you refuse to even consider that you have a mental illness that you need to deal with. I think Ativan. You're being contrary because... I wanted to take an Ativan for something and you were like, why do you, why are you going to do that? You don't need to take that. Just don't. And you like totally gave when? me a hard time about it. What are you talking about? When was that? I'm usually all for you taking Ativan. <laughs> it was something in the past couple of months. 
well if it's not and i was gonna take it and i think it was like mom related like i was just stressed out and mm-hmm. i like was having a lot of anxiety it was probably because oh i remember that it was because i was like i don't know what the effects of ativan are on conception or trying to conceive and so that's why i said no so there yeah so imagine i had been on benzos for ages and i'd be having to try and come off of them and that's stressful I just feel like it's better trying to manage it on my own than turning to medication because medication's always going to be there. So if it gets to the point when it's crazy mm-hmm. and I'm not able to handle it, mm-hmm. I can turn to that. But at this point, I still get through my day-to-day life not having to like hide in bathrooms and shit. And I overcame that. Mm-hmm. I also recognize... I'm not saying you're like... I also have like a certain um, headspace where if something makes me anxious, I don't try and avoid it. You know, like there's mm-hmm. many things throughout my day in my life that I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. And I have a certain amount of anxiety, but mm-hmm. I still do it. And then I feel okay. I don't actually let anxiety keep me from doing things. Yeah. And you're definitely better at dealing with it now than you were even five years ago. I think you're getting better at it. I just think it's, I just find it interesting that you have that association that because your mom is on meds for her mental illnesses, that you can't be. And I think it has so much to do with your mom using them, not because you don't think you need them but because like I think it wouldn't be as as much of an avoidant topic if your mom wasn't on them and didn't routinely abuse them right yeah I also think that there's yeah that there's like much greater anxiety issues than the ones that I have oh of course there are but that doesn't mean that's that's a that's like kind of a useless comparison to make though like oh other people are more anxious than me so I don't need to do anything about mine or I don't need to take meds like I I think for a lot of people and and you know, a healthy approach to anxiety meds is they're a way to help. They're a way to kind of level you off so that you can learn more behavioral methods, depending on the kind of anxiety you have, learn more behavioral methods to manage it so that you don't need the meds anymore. It's like a, it's like a bridge, right? That's what the medication is supposed to be. I don't think you're necessarily in a place where you can't manage it, but there are definitely times when you're not great at managing it. But it's been like a constant in our life that you're always like, why are you with me? I'm crazy. My mom's crazy. My family's the worst. Why would anybody want to date me? It's like you've been trying to talk me out of being in love with you for <laughs> nine years. Hasn't worked yet. <laughs> no. But were you, um, you were going to say something about your own anxiety issues so that where you don't just all think that Angie's crazy. Well, Angie is crazy, but I'm not. I'm not totally uncrazy. So I don't know. I think my anxiety has more to do with pressure I put on myself. Um a lot of the time, like when I was, I really struggled to find the right position for my, the right place to start my career um, after I finished my degree. And it was really hard. It was, I mean, Vancouver is a really competitive job market for everything. And I was really having a hard time finding where I fit. And I can't even count the amount of anxiety attacks I had about it, where Andrew would come home and I would be like hyperventilating, like, freaking out because I felt like a loser and I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do and I couldn't find the right place and I kept applying for jobs and getting nowhere and nobody wanted me and you know it was just really hard um and I feel like when I look back on that I'm like god like that was really shitty but look at how far I've come now and I really hope that that's how we look at this whole fertility process too that it's like god that was really hard but look at we got through and we have an amazing baby yeah, that's cute. I got a message from one of our listeners who said that they totally understand what it's like to worry about having an ugly baby. <laughs> yeah. So after all of the crazy mom stuff, <laughs> and Ange realized that I wasn't going anywhere. And I was like, I guess I should marry her. No, actually, we talked about it a lot, years and years in, in the making, about 
I don't think marriage mattered really that much to, to Ange at the time. Initially, she just cared about having a baby. And I was like, well, I don't really want to have a baby until we're married. Marriage is important to me. I also think that before we started this, I thought that we had to be married because I thought you were going to have to adopt the baby. We both thought that. Yeah. Which I used <laughs> in my benefit or to my benefit to get you to propose, I think. Actually, that's not true. I didn't think there was a need for a proposal because I was like, we obviously already want to marry each other. Why does anyone have to propose to anyone? And you did not agree. Yeah, it's like tradition. It's nice. Not just being like, yeah. so we're getting married. So she told me like unequivocally, you are not proposing. I'm going to do that. And I was like, okay. And then like years went by. You weren't like waiting on pins and needles though. No. No. Because <laughs> no. if I asked too soon, you would have been like, no. Yeah, because I, I, we talked about that too. I was like, I don't want to get married while we're in school. We don't have any money. I want to have a big wedding. It's going to be a thing. But I always actually thought from, I think about after we were together for about a year, I was like, if we're still together in seven years, then I'm going to ask her to marry me. You thought that? Yeah. Seven. Seven. Why seven? I don't know. It just like came into my head and I was like, okay, that seems like a Well, good you time. waited an extra year. No, I didn't. It was seven years. Oh, no. Yeah. It was seven when you proposed. Yeah. So our proposal was so cute. It was so sweet. It's such a nice story. It's like, let's like happy this, this podcast up. It's yeah. been a real downer. <laughs> I remember this so clearly. It was a, it was a Sunday night. And I was working and she'd asked like a week or two, two weeks, maybe even advance, like to try and get this Sunday night off. And I was like, I can't, I can't like, I'll try, but I really don't think I'm going to be able to because it was the, it was a long weekend. So it was May long weekend, right? No. It was the end of May. It was April Fool's Day. Yeah, it was the end of May. So it would have been May long weekend. April yeah. comes before May. Oh yeah. Well, what was the long <laughs> weekend then? Anyway, it was a long weekend. I know that it was a long weekend because everybody that wasn't working was away. So there was literally no one to trade with. There was no one to give my shift to. So I was like, I'm sorry. Like, I can't get rid of it. And she's like, that's fine. Well, because she was like, oh, I have a special date or whatever planned. And I was like, okay. Didn't tip me off at all. So she's like, oh, that's fine. We'll just do it after you get off work. And I was like, what kind of date are we going to have at like 1230 at night? Because I don't get off till like 1230. She's like, oh, whatever. It's fine. So she's texting me throughout the night. Like, hey, just let me know when you're on your way home from work. I'm like, okay, whatever. So I do. And then I get home and there's a note on the door. It's actually not a note. It was more like a book <laughs> <laughs> taped to the door. Um, because in our in our whole relationship, Ange has always made these amazing little cards and cartoons. And she do does, she's a really, I think, great talent for cartoon drawing and like little animations and stuff. So it was kind of like a comic strip. And it, it said... It, it was just all these like vignettes of like her and her cat Felix and what sh basically what how terrible her life would be without me. And in one of them, like she and Felix were like bank robbers. <laughs> in another one, they were both like really, really overweight and never did anything and were super miserable. It was just really cute. And then at the end, it just said like, get yourself sexy. You have like 15 minutes to meet me out front. And I was like, what? So I'm like messaging her furiously. She's not in the house. I'm like, where are you? What's happening? What are you doing? What do I need? Do I need to get dressed up? What do you mean dressed up? Um, do I need my purse? Do I need like, and I <laughs> needed a lot of information, which she didn't give me much of. So then I go out front and she's standing in front of our car with a bouquet of roses. And I was like, what's happening? This is so sweet. And she's like, get in the car. And she'd like washed it. It was all clean and nice. And we just started driving. And I was like, where the fuck are we going? <laughs> it's like almost one in the morning. 
So we were driving over the bridge and we start going towards where she used to live when I first met her. I was like, that's weird. What are we doing here? So she pulls into the like alley behind and the house isn't even there anymore. It's been torn down and it's like a, uh, a townhouse townhouse yeah. complex. Yeah. Um, so we park in the alleyway where we used to park and she's like, tell me why I'm he- why we're here. And like as I started saying it, I was like, it like all clicked in my head. I was like, oh, because exactly seven years ago today, we had our first kiss right here in an alley because we're classy <laughs> in the car in the car in that same car and and she was like yeah so what did you say to me that night and i was like well that night i wanted you to kiss me but i was too chicken to ask so i looked at you and i said what are you thinking right now and she said i'm thinking about kissing you and i said well i think you should do it and she looked at me and she said well i think you should marry me and gave me a ring and it was really really sweet and then we went home and she had some Prosecco and some red velvet cake <laughs> ready to celebrate. And I called my sister. It was very late. And I was like, actually, no, she wasn't waking up. So I called my niece and she was like, what's going on? What's happening? I was like, everything's fine. Up. I just need you to wake your mom up. She's like, why? Why? I'm like, just go wake your mom up. And we totally had like a ee, squealy girl moment about it. And it was awesome. And then after that, Ange said, now you have to propose to me. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> but it was it was on April Fool's Day. And mm-hmm. that was perfect because we used to always fake people out on our Facebook page by being like, we're engaged. And everyone would be like, oh, my God. And we'd be like, no, just kidding, idiots. Yeah. And so we posted it the next day being like, we're engaged. And everyone was like, okay, you've done this for like four years in a row. And we're like, no, but seriously this time, like for real, for real, for real. Yeah, it took a long time before people actually believed us, which tickled me. Yeah, it was so stressful for her, though, because I refused to put it on Facebook until I told my family members like, personally and I could not get a hold of my brother he lives in Australia and I was like fuck how are we gonna do this and Ange was like we have to post it I'm like we are not posting it until I tell my brother like that's not happening so we've and we're like messaging his girlfriend being like come on where is he tell us where he is so we finally get it through to him and then she was like yes like posted on (laughs) on Facebook it was so funny Mm -hmm. so many so many comments so many likes and so many people messaging being like oh my wait are you kidding are you serious <laughs> and we're like no like the amount of people I had to be like no we're like I swear like here's the ring it's real it's real so that was really it was really fun it was really really sweet and being engaged was wonderful it's and funny because it was so far in that I didn't think I really did not think it was going to make a difference and, and that you'd be excited you think you're just no I was like oh you know it's exciting it's something to look forward to but I was like really really happy about it yeah, and I was really nervous. Not that I, I know. think you would say yes, but I think it's just a nerve-wracking thing Yeah, to have to suddenly, because it's a moment, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a story that you're going to tell and mm-hmm. people ask about it. And so it yeah. is kind of this buildup where mm-hmm. everything needs to be perfect and you want it to be memorable, not just sort of like, hey, so I was thinking. And it was, honestly. Like if you'd done one of those big, fancy, like showy, in public kind of proposals, that would not have been us. I would have been really uncomfortable with that. Um, I think it was perfect. Aww. It's I the way I s- describe it is it's the exact perfect proposal that I never knew I wanted. Oh, that's cute. That's why I see that's why I'm with you because you're so thoughtful and you're so sweet and you treat me so well and you make me feel like I could never find another person like you because you're just special. Yeah, you probably couldn't. No, no, I don't think so. You're the one I've rounded up to one. <laughs> what? The Dan Savage thing. 
There is no one. There's one that you round up to one. There's oh. someone who's like a 0.67. And you're like, eh, it's close enough. <laughs> I've got enough of this stuff on my list. Okay. I guess. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, but you're not a 0.67. You're like a 0.9. Okay. Yeah. I can deal with that. Yeah, right? Yeah. So any baby names? A listener sent us an article from Distractify. It was very on topic. It's called, it says, here are the most ridiculous baby names that new parents chose in 2015. Ooh, what if I like them though? Okay. So one of them was, one of them was Phoenix, which I was like, oh, it's totally normal name. They said it's like a total yuppie name. Phoenix? Yeah. It's not that bad. And then Danger? No. Colt? Hey, Colt was one that I I don't like last week. No. No. Uh, Jupiter? No. Jupiter rose in popularity by 50% for boys. The name Star also experienced a slight increase in popularity. No, don't um, like them. Haze. Haze? Haze. And there's a picture of a baby dressed like a pot leaf. <laughs> <laughs> the name Bud rose in popularity for boys by 69%, Haze by 62 and Blaze by 8 <laughs> Blaze is not that bad if it didn't have such like a weed-heavy connotation. Mm-hmm. I think it actually sounds nice on its own. So apparently there's a lot more space-related names, so Cassiopeia. Um, Cassiopeia Venus Soleil Royalty names were big So Like what William and It Charles? says simply n- naming babies after royalty would be hashtag basic New parents were more l- literal with the royal names this year Royalty rose in pro- popularity Like the name royalty That's a name Oh Rose in popularity by 88% Wow Yeah And then Duchess jumped by 25% Ooh you're gonna name your kid Duchess as like a full name That's so crazy It'd be like no, that's confusing. Yeah. Duchess Smith. So those are some ridiculous baby names. Have you thought of any that are not ridiculous? No, I haven't had any on my list lately that I've heard. I heard that people were naming their babies after Instagram filters. So let's take a look here and see what the filters are. Okay. Would you want to name your kid Normal? No. Claridon? No. Gingham? <laughs> no. Moon? No. Lark. Uh, X-Pro 2? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> we found it, guys. X-Pro 2. New X-Pro baby name. Two. Don't you bitches steal that name from us. We'll be so upset. Okay, guys. Thanks for listening this week. We will keep you updated next week when we do some blood tests and see what's happening down there. If anything's... If I ovulated and if we're pregnant. Yeah, we'll definitely do one more episode before Christmas. Good luck with all your Christmas planning. I hope it's not making you crazy-er than you already feel because you're going through fertility stuff. And we wish you all fertile, a fertile Christmas. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Let's just not do the podcast at all. (laughs) Your baby mama's podcast. Thanks for listening to the Baby Mamas Podcast. Make sure to like them on Facebook and give them a great review on iTunes. Have a good day. When you got it in, you put your legs in the air. Soon you'll be popping babies like you just don't care.